Welcome to the Inner Sales Podcast, where you will learn how to connect with your own intuition and create a more successful and enlightened sales career. Listen as John and Russ discuss what it takes to drive revenue from the inside out. And now, here's your host, John Stannis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Inner Sales, the podcast from TYG. I am your host, Jonathan Stannis, and per usual this week, I am joined by my co-host, Russ Salzer. How are you doing today, Russ? Hey, I'm good, John. How are you? Pretty good. I cannot complain on this fine morning. We are also joined today by Kirk McLaren. Say hello, Kirk. Yeah, good morning. How are you doing? Doing excellent. Really happy to be here with you and Russ to you know, talk about how the numbers help sales. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the numbers, let's go through the numbers for you. So Kirk is CEO of Foresight and also the co-founder of the 2% Club. He's also a professor at Georgetown University. That's quite the list of um, accolades, I have to say. Can you tell me a bit about how you became um, to be in all those great positions? Yeah, so, I mean, it really started with the Foresight um, you know, CFO roughly in, in 2010, there, you know, uh, just a, a need from private business owners to make better decisions, uh, do, you know, take action with confidence. And so kind of watching what CEOs need and interacting with them, you know, one thing grew out of, out of another. What is Foresight CFO? Can you tell me a bit of what that company does, how you work with companies to really um, help drive revenue? Yep, I'd be happy to. So Foresight CFO is a fractional CFO and accounting company that we focus on growth companies. We're, we're based out of D.C. and New York, but we deliver services nationwide. And we work with those CEOs who have a mindset of growth, right? And to a large extent, that, you know, the portion of the market, the company's doing between 5 to $50 million, they're, they're underserved from the type of expertise mm-hmm. and clarity that we bring to them. Uh, you know, sometimes these CEOs are scratching their heads. They're trying to figure out, well, you know, what is the next step in my business? I have so many options, especially with the top line. You know, sales is the hardest thing to nail down for, for many of the businesses that we work with. Uh, other times, they're just feeling a real pain point. They could even be growing at phenomenal rates year over year, but not have the cash to make payroll. So it's, it's those type of circumstances where we actually team with the CEOs through growth CFO and accounting services that help them you know, identify the right options, make the selection with the numbers, and then through ownerships at the profit and loss manager level, we, we earn those results that, that they need. Kirk, tell us a little bit about 2% Club too, which I think is a, is a really interesting business model. Foresight's all about the, the growth CFO being that wing person for the CEO, having discussions that they can't have with anyone else. But there's, there's certain things the CFO does, there's certain things the CFO doesn't do. So the 2% CEO club came out of you know, thought leadership. There's, there's other partners that have expertise that a CFO doesn't have. You know, um, you know since the, the purpose of this podcast is sales, there's there's sales experts that in many cases help CEOs get that top line going in the right direction. Um, and the club has all, all the way from those, those thought leaders that help the CEOs that we work with all the way down to a peer group of masterminds that, you know, five CEOs in similar businesses that every month they're figuring out how to, you know, plan and execute together with the accountability of a coach. 
So that that's what the uh, the club is all about: is the right subject matter experts, peer groups, and a, a coach to help you know CEOs you know always be taking that next step. I've heard a lot about mastermind groups recently. Um, can you tell me? Um, so you're saying that there are small groups, about five people. What have you really seen come out of those groups? What does that peer group really help you um, create? I mean, what's the importance of having that small peer group? What does that facilitate? Yeah, there, there's nothing, as far as like CEOs driving accountability, nothing beats, you know, if I use myself as an example, if I proclaim to four of my peers what I'm going to do this month to advance my business, and it, it's actually, it's not verbal, it's written down mm-hmm. in an action plan for growth, very clear, very concise, and uh, you know, collaborating with my peers to figure out the best path, helping me think about options. And then once I proclaim to my peers, you know, this is what I'm, I'm going to do, then the very next month I'm accountable. You know, in five minutes, you know, I, I brief them on where I'm at. Uh, nothing breeds, you know, taking, act, taking action more than declaring things like that to a peer group mm-hmm. consistently month to month. So that, that's, where, that's where it helps. It's just becoming accountable really to yourself through, other, through that trusted group. So Kirk, I want to jump back to Foresight CFO because throughout my career, I've had the pleasure of working with what I think were really super high level CFOs, really growth minded. It's a completely different way to view the business from maybe a higher level controller. How do you make that distinction between that? Cause you know, you're, it sounds like your sweet spot is sort of the, you know, the underserved, you know, five to 50 million ish where they don't have the resources to pull in some high level CFO or they may not even have a high level CFO available to them in their particular geographic area. How do you make that distinction? Like what's the difference between somebody who's controller focused to somebody who's really growth minded? Yeah, it's night and day. I mean, um, in in my career, I've literally hired hundreds of of accountants, controller types, and they they are a different mindset. Yeah. And if you think about it, a controller, it's about compliance. You know, that I fill out the tax form, the, the, you know, the department of labor forms and a risk of compliance on the 401k, Along with accounting operations, are we processing yeah, the bills, close the books, yeah, yeah. collecting the money, paying the vendors, making payroll? All transaction, all backward looking, right? Which is very important. You got to have you got to have that foundation of accounting working in order to really do a good. You know, let's let's look at the business. You know, the next step and and you know forecasting forward to look at different scenarios. Um, and that that's where a growth CFO is. You know, like you know, like uniqueness. You know, most. Controllers are not going to ask you about you know what makes you unique. Why would a potential customer buy from you versus somebody else? But a growth CFO does, and that's kind of top of the pyramid where things are start. You know what makes you unique? Why would somebody buy from us? Um, because then we can figure out you know what kind of sales team we need and what what is our approach yeah. to marketing. And the CF growth CFO evaluates. You know, there's there's so many options, you know, and so many silver bullets to win customers. Well, the growth CFO can help the managers evaluate each option with the numbers. What can we afford? What do we put into it? What do we expect to get out of it? And when? And then if we expect to get a result by month three, using the numbers, we know if we're either over or under on those results. And we, we can take action as a leading indicator. So that's, that's a, you know, example of taste what a growth CFO. I, I would be very interested if anybody had a similar discussion like that with uh with their controller mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i was going to say in my career i mean one of the big distinctions i saw is kind of what you're talking about where 
you know, the controller is all transactional. You know, you close the books at the end of the month. They maybe ship out the financial statements. There's maybe a cursory review of them, but you're really not getting in depth. To, it's almost like um, it's for sure backward looking, but you're not getting this forward looking like, what are we going to do? Yeah. There's more accountability to it. There's more planning ahead. It's just a completely different point of view. Yeah, And so, for you know, you guys can provide those services to people who aren't necessarily in that sort of sphere where they have the capability of bringing that skill set on full time. Yeah. It, it, Rush, you mind if I give you one more example? Yeah. How it plays out? Um, a, a lot of companies, you know, the ones that have financials know how they, where they stand on some level about profitability. But many CEOs of these private companies, they don't know where they stand compared to their competitive industry benchmark. Oh, yeah. so, so there's another one. I mean, it, you know, if we're just hypothetically, if, you know, uh, co- you know company's doing 2% net income and, and the, the industry benchmark's doing 10%, we can do that. You know, what's the number story? Where are we different, better or worse? No, no judgment. They're, they're numbers. And then that critical thing of why. Why are we over or under? And then what are we going to do, right? So... So, you know, our, our foresight growth CFOs, they, as one tool, they use benchmarks to really get us out of any kind of um, plateau or status quo. And, you know, let's get into that top percentile because when you're top percentile, not only do you have more money in the bank today, you're, you're more valuable tomorrow and you have more options. You have access to cash. Uh, people want to work with you. You can make investments in your, your in having the right people doing the right things. You can make investments in your, your sales team that they're really you know, take them up, take them to that next step. Growth CFO has that kind of, you know, kind of edge. Yeah. yeah. I can't help but think about the relationship between, the similarities between that and the way that we tend to talk about sales on this show, because a lot of the time, I think salespeople look at the past, are you talking about this year? How are we going to close it this year? How are we going to meet the numbers for this year? And a lot of it is sometimes looking in the past at what has happened, but not really looking to the forward or looking at the funnel at the pipeline and seeing, I need to know what's in the funnel now to know what my results are going to be, um, you know, six months from now. And I feel like you're doing the exact same thing just on the accounting side, really be able to plan for the future. What can you do now to control the future as opposed to just looking at what has happened in the past? Yeah, that, that's a great lens to look at it. I mean, you're literally getting your heads up higher where you can see further down the road and, you know, starting with the end of mind, make decisions that, you know, what do we do today to get there? That's a good good lens, John. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I really think about it, that you mentioned about it, we don't often think about um, the role accounting plays in sales. So there are some uh, various areas I think you'd like to talk about um, when it comes to the sales process and sales tech, um sales cycle that accounting can help with. Can you help uh, help us understand how accountants and how your growth CFOs can help with um, winning new sales? Fundamental. I mean, to win in most marketplaces, the, the customer we're all going after is price sensitive on some level. So where accounting and growth CFO comes into play is, you know, really knowing what is the direct cost for each unit of product and services that we're delivering? What is the actual direct cost for that, you know, by, by service line? And that, that allows us to price competitively, right? Instead of, you know, kind of the thumb in the air kind of thing, man, you, you can get razor sharp on your, your competitive pricing and, and still have the margins you need. Uh, you know, part one is pricing, win the business, and two is when you, you know, when you win the business and you implement it, if, if our P&O managers are owning 
know, the responsibility to manage mm-hmm. that direct cost per plan. They get, they get better and better at it the more you do it. That's why we call them habits or profitabilities, that, that consistency. Then you have the P&O manager managing delivery within that scope. So you're pricing competitively, you're managing direct costs, you're getting your margin. Okay. It's a, almost a math, a math problem. Oh, I like math. Give me a math problem any day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how often do you see a company that just doesn't have a handle on their cost structure to be able to provide accurate costs for the sales team? I mean, is this a really common issue you see? I, I would say it's more common. Uh, I think it's common. Like most companies struggle with some aspect of this. Um, and, and the reason why is CEO business owners go into business, but they're really good at something, whether mm-hmm. it, it's warehouse distribution or artificial intelligence or Himalayan salt, whatever it is, they go into business because that's what they're good at, right? And it's those, those other things, you know, like Michael Gerber talks about this in email, those other hats they have to wear, that's not their expertise. Mm-hmm. So, so, of course, if, if I'm responsible for things that are not in my, in my real thought leader delivery expertise, they're not going to be as, as refined or as, you know, as, as good as something I'm, I'm good at. So most companies that we go into, there's just uh, there's a wealth of opportunity to help them make more money because their back office is our front office. And we're really good at that. And, um, you know, by having eyes on, 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 you know, the things that we're talking about, you know, there is more profit, there is more cash in the bank and, and a more, more valuable business for tomorrow. Well, the beauty of what you do to you do and what I've seen throughout, you know, places I've managed is there was oftentimes more money to be made internally than externally. Mm. In other words, the stuff you're talking about, which is in your direct control, that was always the fun part about it. You're not up against anybody. You're not trying to convince anybody. And so anything you can do um, to refine that is then can, you know, fall to the bottom line immediately. There's no impediment to that. It's just other than you doing it. Yeah. Having that expertise to make it happen. Yeah, dollar for dollar, everything that's that's won internally yeah. drops to the bottom line. So yeah. there's there's no related incremental costs. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I hear a lot with the work I do is not a lot, but I'd say occasionally, you know, where we're not competitive. So potential sales reason for not selling is we're not competitive. We can't. But I wonder how much of that really is tied to cost structure. Do we really have a handle on it? I've seen managers and owners before where they inflate that knowing that we don't necessarily trust the sales team. So we're going to inflate it knowing we're going to give, you know, have to ratchet it back price wise. So I imagine you see any and kind of all of that when you go into things. Yeah. I think there's definitely a fair amount of that because salespeople, you know, sales are selling is tough, right? You really got to create a, you know, get in with a prospect and create a value position and get them off status quo. So then anything, you know, you know, the back office, you know, the, the, the our, you know, delivery side, you know, managing the cost. Like if anything's out of whack, if the del- delivery team doesn't, don't have their hands on, you know, the actual cost to go into delivering, it creates a good opportunity for the salespeople to say, hey, we can't sell because of yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you're working with someone like, you know, a growth CFO, foresight CFO, then you eliminate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? It, there's, there's no reason why, you know, at least that part of the 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 barrier to salespeople is eliminated. And now let's go engage the marketplace and do something for our, our prospects. Yeah, or you could potentially find out you're really not competitive, 
but then it's legit. You, you know, you can quantify it. Then you can take steps to try to improve the cost structure to be more competitive. How you buy, yeah. how you manufacture, whatever it might be. You're working with real stuff instead of kind of anecdotal. Can't sell because we're not competitive. Yeah, Russ, that, that's a good point. I and mean, nothing like really knowing. I mean, if we're not competitive, let's know it. And let's yeah. use the numbers to figure out where we're not competitive. And, uh, you know, we, we can be we can be smart, you know, smart as anybody else on the block to go, you know, whatever that's going on there fix that so good yeah. good point what industries do you find you tend to have the most success with your um analysis are there different certain ones where you find you can do more for them than others it, it's really the mindset of the ceo if the mindset okay. if the ceo because again we're not we're not all experts in everything if the ceo can really embrace having a growth cfo wing person and, and learning thinking about things in a way that they haven't thought of before being challenged and being held accountable together to get a result. Those CFOs, we, we literally have, you know, telecom companies, uh, technology companies, education companies, Himalayan salt companies, companies in Australia, company in Iceland, uh, obviously across the United States from Sacramento, Chicago, Austin, New York, DC, where we are. So across this a wide range of industries because the, the approach, our approach impact financial management it's adaptable to different companies at different mm-hmm. stages, different industries, because a lot of it is having your eye. It's about having your eyes on what matters. Um, and, you know, the experts are already in the company and the CEO and their team, they're, they're experts. Mm-hmm. And, and with benchmarks and other approaches that we bring to the table, we, we can, we can light them up and help them get to where they want to go. So I have to assume one of the companies you work for, it does actually manufacture Himalayan salt. Am I accurate? <laughs> that, that, that is correct. It, it's in Pakistan. Okay. I heard I heard John chuckle when you said that in the beginning. <laughs> I, I'm like, I knew that was a real customer. So yeah, that, that's why I throw it out there. So it, it, it's hard to believe, but none of my CFOs had or had prior to this experience in Himalayan salt in Pakistan. But <laughs> the the methods work. It's hard to believe. Do you do you have yeah. experience in Himalayan salt? No. Yeah. But, put that on a put that on LinkedIn and look for help. <laughs> But, but we can do it. We'll take it on and we'll, we'll get it done with the CEO. So, yeah. That's amazing. All right. Yeah. If you're right, if you can do it with Himalayan salt, I think you can do it with just about anything. Yeah. Depending on the businesses you are in, besides that, whether it's manufacturing or a service, I, there are a lot of different factors that go into building a company's cost structure accurately. Are there certain things that you see that tend to be more difficult to analyze? Uh, difficult. I, I think the hardest part, you know, if I think about Internal operations, whether it's delivery teams, overhead, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, the accounting back office, HR. In general, those things are, they're, they're within our direct control. When I say ours, it's us with the P&L managers, the CEO. They, we, we, could, we can see into those. We control what we do, what we don't do. The hardest thing to get into is that sales and marketing because a, a company can choose how they engage their, their, you know, their marketplace and their prospects. But, but the prospects choose how they respond. And so, so that area, um, you know, working out a forecast and, 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 you know, meeting that forecast, beating that forecast with the sales and marketing folks, man, that's where, the, uh, that's where science meets start and, and determination mm-hmm. to, you know, do what needs to be done to get the result. You say it's the hardest part and you need to really combine this art and science what have you found that makes that team successful when you're engaging with them? What do they need to bring to the table to be successful with you? Yeah, for, for, for B2B sales, it's a lot of time it's working 
you know, having the right people work with the sales team to literally prospect, you know, get to that first appointment with a prospect and, and the, you know, having the right prospects and the right volume, but, you know, by, by taking action. And so a lot of times companies do need help with that literally top of the funnel prospecting, take action, you know, all those excuses we talked about earlier, you know, eliminate that and, and do what needs to be done to, to fill the top of the funnel with the right prospect. That for B2B, that's the, the hardest thing. You know, B, B to C, a lot of times they, they lean more on, um, you know, a, a marketing, mm-hmm. uh, like an e-commerce type sale, you know, so you get, you get a whole different set of considerations there. Well, you should be able to um, help them out a lot with that, Bryce, I would say. Yeah, yeah, good lead. So, Kirk, what about, you know, cost structure, and I've been with plenty of organizations where it's not, you know, you guys are really good at it. It's not necessarily easy to nail down manufacturing. You got all that, but you can get to it at some point. Mm -hmm. But what about, one of the things that I always had trouble with was sort of the postmortem. You know, how do you come back along? Hey, we've priced it, we've sold it. Now we've manufactured it, shipped it. How important is doing the postmortem on really understanding actual margins? I can have an estimated margin of 42%, but what the only thing that matters is how I actually did. You know, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's vital, right? Because there, there's what we think on the front end, how things are going to play out. You know, any, any CEO, any business and, and, and their team members, then it, it, you know, we, we talk about the habit. So the habit is every month looking at the actual, actual compared to expected. And that's a mm-hmm. feedback loop. You know, you'll take, you know, sometimes people are afraid to drive that level of accountability and ownership. But if we're a team together and literally look at the numbers every month and, and are we over or under what we expected for a given item? And then as a team to see it for what it is and, you know, why, you know, the, from the number story of the various and why is that happening? To, as a P&O manager, what action will I take? So I have that level of ownership. So, so the P&O manager actually starts taking ownership, which takes a lot of the burden off the CEO from you know, being the hammer to actually collaborating and, and you know, helping P&O managers take the right action. Um, so so the, the, the consistency as a habit, it, at least every month, step back and look at the number story. Um, you know, by the third month, it's starting to get, become a really healthy thing. And by the sixth month, it's like, how, how did you ever live without this? You know, mm-hmm. because it's, things are so much clearer now on what matters versus what doesn't matter. And we're, we're much more so doing the right things with a, a lot less of being wrapped around the axle. In your work, Kirk, do you, do you see the level of sales involvement in that discussion, the postmortem and the review? where it should be? Or did managers tend to think, hey, that's my role. I'll carry the message however I carry it. Or are you directly involved with speaking to actual reps on that level? Yeah, oftentimes, like, like from a growth CFO standpoint, they, they tend to work with the, um, what, whatever, what, given the structure, whatever the management structure is, you know, the CEO to whatever managers, yeah. leaders they have. And then those leaders are equipped uh, to work with their team members. You know, it all depends on how kind of, how, how the company is structured and how big they are. So, so we, we, we work you know, a lot of times, especially in private companies, you know, sales managers, operational managers are not getting the financial information they need. And there's a right. variety of reasons why a CEO might withhold the information, everything from right. fear to, uh, yeah. to, we don't have the information. Our accounting system can't count. Right. And, um, and there's, yeah. there's some pretty sizable companies where the accounting system can't count. 
And so, so getting that foundation right. Yeah. But, but once they start getting the numbers, making sure the numbers are, are right and using the numbers to make, make those decisions, man, it's just, um, seriously, by, by month three, it's one thing by month six, like, Oh my God, it's like, like oxygen. We don't have it. Yeah. We, we can't function. And, and the precision okay. from that clarity, the precision on what they take action yeah. on. I mean, it's almost, as I, as I talked to you, I almost feel good just talking about that, that state yeah. from where we started to where we are. And I can imagine a big part of what you do has to be education because whether, you know, you may be an ops manager or a sales manager, but you came through the, you know, the career hierarchy, maybe being a sales rep got promoted, maybe being a supervisor or whatever to an ops manager. What I've seen is they're not equipped. Yeah. You know, we would often do classes of what are we looking at here? What's, what's interesting about financial reviews, I always thought, is, you know, do I even understand them? And then nobody would want to kind of admit that I don't know what these <laughs> numbers mean because I think people think I should by that point in time. Yeah. You know, so I can imagine that gross CFOs, when you're engaged, you're doing a lot of training. Hey, here's what we're looking at. Here's what they mm-hmm. mean. This is what, how that ties to that, ties to that, ties to that, as opposed to, you know, pretending we know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you, you're, you are so right. So we, so we see that in the business world. I mean, the fact is most managers aren't trained how to read the financials and use the numbers to yep. really crush it, right? And so they, because nobody wants to show that they're coming up short. There's all kinds of job insecurity and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Self-respect where I, where I might not volunteer on something that I don't know. So we, we see that in the, in the business world, but we work, we work side by side. Literally, let's look at it together. We look at how they use the information and, and guide them literally month to month from there. They become experts at it. And, and at, you know, Russ, I see, see the same thing in uh, Georgetown. You know, these are mid-career grad students and they come in mm-hmm. eyes wide open, you know, fear. They, they think I'm going to give them a calculus test. <laughs> You know, yeah. math test. So that's that's not what this is. This is about you know how do you, you know it's literally one plus one equals two, and and if I expected three, and I got a two. Why? So it's mm. critical thinking. Yeah. And what can I do today to take ownership and action to move it to a, a three point three or a four, right? Um, and so so they go from in a relatively short period of time, a semester from from the numbers being their enemy, to man, this is this is good. Mm. Well, that's a great, great way to say it. The numbers being their enemy yeah. from, Hey, competency. I don't understand it. How is it actionable? I'll look dumb. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's ample opportunity to look, yeah. <laughs> look silly and not understanding it. Yeah. I have to say, I feel a little bit on the dumber side here as you throw around these terms and I coming from the marketing world, I'm just not as familiar with things like P and L. I kind of get the idea in my head, but a little bit um, above my current uh, understanding. I'll admit at the moment, Having said that, I still think this is all fascinating stuff. Yeah. I, I remember the first time I looked at a financial statement, and I was like, what? No one taught me how to do it. I learned the hard way. Yeah. And it took years, right? Yeah. And now I can look at a financial statement and say, okay, they're not, they're milking the company. They're not investing in capital or doing this, doing yeah. that. This is out of whack. Boom, boom, boom. You know, I get, yeah. a blink of an eye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but it didn't start that way. It started out like literally hurt my eyes. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what was going on. And no one, I didn't have the benefit of somebody side by side and it could have been so much easier. Yeah. <laughs> My question was going to be how to make that process, that postmortem process easier on people. So obviously education, understanding, knowing what everything means, being able to actually read those statements and have an effective conversation is probably the most important thing to do to make sure that you have um, and a good postmortem setup and review process. Yeah. Literally to get there because most, most people are going to do what they're best at 
you know, have that role CFO on your side mm-hmm. because they're going it, to, it's, you know, it's their primary duty to make sure monthly the right people are using the right numbers to, mm-hmm. to really get good. Well, Russ often uses a line that you say to you. Apparently, you said to him a long time ago. Uh, and he said about six months ago, which I love. Okay. Go, go oh, ahead. The line, ask any CFO what the toughest line on the financials to predict is, and you always hear revenue. And why Why yeah. is that? Why is it always the hardest thing to predict, revenue? Yeah, it, it, it ties back to where we were going earlier. It's, it's because the um, – like we – Internally, we control what we do, who we hire, how we deliver raw, raw materials, whatever. But it's that um, you know, sales and marketing is all about going to the market. So it's the bigger world, and the you know the prospects in the market get to decide on how they respond to you. So it, there's that reality. There's plus there's the pressure. I mean, when it's planning time, you know, no matter who's involved with that forecast, there, there's there's pressure to have that you know, that hockey stick like growth, mm-hmm. even if our pipeline is, you know, crickets, <laughs> there's still on a forecast. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to forecast hockey stick growth, right. In that. Over to the right. Yeah. I mean, you know, so it's, 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 all, it's, it's all those dynamics versus it's really hard for a seller person to say, man, you know, I know we want X, mm-hmm. but we don't have anything close to X in a pipeline. Right. And, and I'm, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. Right. I'm stalled. So it's it, like, like any professional, it's hard to say that, but, but it'd be a lot better if we did. And we'll at least figure out what we need to do. And that a growth CFO could help evaluate options. We need to bring in an expert to, to charge up and, you know, get us out, out of this stalled point. Uh, do we have what we need internal, you know, what, whatever it is, is there, you know, most conferences I go to, there's promises of silver bullets, you know, if you just do LinkedIn, mm-hmm. you're right. Um, and maybe li- LinkedIn is part of the mix, but but let's let's you know, silver bullet thinking tends not to mm-hmm. win out. There was a post because oh, sorry, go ahead. But I was going to say, there's in most cases there's there's selection and and then that discipline to be consistent to get somewhere with something. So so go, sorry about that. No, go it's ahead. okay. As I was remembering a post I was reading over the weekend, a real short one. I think it was from Seth Godin saying. There's a really good shortcut for whatever business you are in. There is no shortcut. Understanding that there is no shortcut is the shortcut because trying to find the shortcut is just going to read you down a bunch of paths that lead you nowhere. So just get over the fact that there's no shortcut. You've got to do the work. You've got to put in the hours and get everything done. And that'll lead you to where you want to go, not trying to find the silver bullet. John, you got to send me that post because that's just yeah. right on. You got to do the it's work. Just right on. Yeah. And, that, yeah. and that's a bitter pill in some cases because, yeah, I really got to get out there and engage. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing, Kirk, is that what it, it brings up. And I think there's a lot of avoidance around having to do that. And so, you know, to nail that down and get after it, the quicker you do it, the better off you'll be. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you mm-hmm. more. Is there anything else that can be done to help make the revenue line more predictable? I think past performance is a big part of it. And the second part, if we're going to, if we're going to anticipate or forecast an influx of some type, it's really, you know, do the work, you know, to identify options and what invest. If we did, you know, it's not going to be doing the same old, same old that's going to produce an influx point or a tipping point. But um, so if we're forecasting a tipping point, man, let's, let's do the work together. Let's roll up our sleeves mm-hmm. and get, get serious about it and uh, stress test it and challenge ourselves, that kind of thing. And if there is one thing, that you could have listeners listening to this podcast today 
leave with to make sure that this is really the one point you want to bring home, what would that be? Yeah, so so th- this is it. I mean, mo- most business owners know they need an accountant to keep track of the transactions on some level. It could be controller level. They also know they need tax prep. That way you don't end up in an orange jumpsuit somewhere. Mm-hmm. But give thought to um, th- that that growth professional, you know, go, it, you know the, that growth CFO is not, who is not your accountant. And if you think your CPA can do that, ask them the type of questions, uniqueness. Ask them the, the you know, you know, the approach to market and some of the things that we talked about. So, so if there's any doubt in your mind, go ask your, your CPA the same, same kind of questions we talked about here and see what you get. I, I mean, I can't reiterate that enough because I was well long into my career before I actually had the experience of working with some high-level CFOs, and I was floored. I mean, again, it's not nothing that business school prepped you for or even my career for a long time. Working for multi-billion dollar companies, it was a long time before I came across one and I didn't, I didn't know. <laughs> Once you experience it, you're like, holy cow, it's a different universe on what value. Honestly, what I, a long time, I always felt like they're sort of at on par with kind of HR. They're meant to be support mm-hmm. functions and not integral parts of growing the business. I got over that from a HR perspective and it took a while until I experienced the high level CFO and what they could really do to help me as a manager do to grow the business. I was shocked in a good way. Fantastic. I have to think every experience. Yeah. I think I have to think every part of the company, people need to try to think of how they can turn around, stop thinking of those different areas that they often just think of as cost centers. You know, here's something we just have to do. Turn it around, flip it on set saying, how can we use this part of the company to help drive our business forward? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If a growth CFO is not making you more money, you don't have a growth CFO. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's just, uh, <laughs> I That's just the guy with the fancy label. All right. Yeah. So thank you so much, Kirk, for joining us. Are there any last questions you want to ask Russ before we sign off here? No, he doesn't have any questions for me. No, other way around, <laughs> Russ, I'm asking, yeah, do you have any questions for oh, him? Okay. No, I mean, it was great. I really appreciate you joining because I think it opens up people to some possibilities here that may not have been considered. Mm-hmm. You know, how that level of that caliper of position uh, can really help the business overall and take a lot of the mystery out of it and somebody who's going to highly contribute to growing. I mean, it's just key. We didn't talk a lot about 2% Club, which I think is yeah. a fascinating business model, peer-to-peer business model and how you can help be with people who can really help you do this and accomplish it. And with high level facilitators and really, you know, actively, um, you know, get support, as Kirk said, the accountability piece, who holds me to task as a CEO and how do I get input from people who maybe have gone through that. Um, so we didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about Maybe it, we'll have him back for talking about the 2% not. club a bit more. Yeah, yeah. but you have to. Okay. It, it, well, go ahead. You were going to say something. Well, I was say I really enjoyed, you know, Jonathan and Russ, you know, having a chance to talk mm-hmm. through these different different experiences together. So if people do want to learn more about the 2% Club or uh, Foresight CFO, how can people get a hold of you, Kirk? Yeah, the best way is either call me at 202-262-1231 or email me at kirk at foresightcfo.com. And it's spelled Foresight, F-O-R-E. S-I-G-H-T 
cfo.com typing that down for the show notes so people should be able to find that in the show notes russ how can people get a hold of us if they want to yeah um my email is russ at 3yg.us russ at 3yg.us and you can also reach out to us at inner sales at 3yg.us as well you can find us on all the socials if you want um you can follow us on linkedin just search for 3yg and you can also find us on Twitter at, at inner underscore sales. I believe Russ also maintains somewhat of a presence on Instagram for inner sales as well as himself. Mm-hmm. You can find show notes for this show at 3id.us slash inner sales and look for the episode with Kirk's name on it. That's Kirk McLaren. Um, if you like this show, please be so kind. Oh, first off, thank you for liking the show. Thank you for listening to the show. Um, but please be so kind and give us a review on iTunes, five stars, if it's at all possible. Speaking of iTunes, you can subscribe to this show on any podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, Google Play. You can find us just about anywhere. You can also just go to com US and listen to the show on the website directly there. You can also sign up for emails to get new episodes directly in your email inbox um, if you prefer to receive episodes that way. Uh, our theme music is Shmatsi Kilokati by Kilokats. And once again, thank everybody for listening. Thanks, Kirk, for coming on board. My pleasure. Thank, thank you. And thanks, Russ, for talking again. Oh, you bet. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, See you Kirk. See next time. Yep. See you later.